You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So the first time I ever heard the word fika was this summer going into my junior year of college. As it turned out, the apartment on campus that I was moving into was previously occupied by a seminary student who had spent a lot of time in Sweden. And as he was moving his stuff out, and my roommates and I were moving our stuff in, he invited us to a fika, which if you don't know, it's, it's a Swedish coffee break, okay? Uh, the idea of a fika is that you sit down with others, you drink a cup of coffee, you eat some kind of baked good, and you just hang out, okay? This became my favorite thing to do. From that day forward, my roommates and I would have fika breaks every day, and we would invite anybody to join us. Our apartment was on campus, and it, it, became, this is, it became a revolving door for anybody to drop by throughout the day for coffee or a pastry just to hang out. We even set up like a little fika donation box by the door. It, just was the, it, was, it became our thing on campus among our friends. And, and through all these fikas, we made lots of friendships, including friendships with a few uh, PhD students who had moved to our school to study under a certain Old Testament professor. And anytime these guys came for fika, uh, we would just pepper them with questions about the Old Testament. And they were so gracious with us. They were so gracious to me. And when I think about these guys, I, I, I give God praise. I give God thanks for the investment, for the influence that these brothers had on me. And I remember one night in particular, drinking coffee way too late, talking with my friend Ryan. And Ryan opened his Bible to the book of Job because the book of Job was Ryan's academic focus. And he opened to Job chapter 19, verse 25, and he read these words. These are the words of Job when Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. The, the book of Job is an ancient book. It's got the earliest date of any book in the Old Testament. It's the oldest book. And when Job says these words, he is describing his hope in the resurrection. But not only that, Job here in Job 19 verse 25, he is describing his hope in a resurrected Redeemer who will one day stand in his flesh on the earth. And I, I don't remember Thinking back to that, to that night, I don't remember everything that Ryan said, but he flipped to other places in the book of Job, and he flipped to other passages in the Old Testament, and he made the case that Job, this ancient prophet, was writing about Jesus. And he made the case that when Job wrote what he wrote about Jesus, that Job wrote it for me. This was a burning bush type of moment in my life. 
In fact, when I think back to the power of that experience, I am ashamed by how little I know of the Bible today. Because all I wanted in that moment and going forward, all I wanted was to see more of that glory in this book. All I wanted was, was to see more of the wonder of this book. I wanted my heart to burn and to keep burning as I beheld the wonder in this book. And that's what brings us now to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Because in this passage, 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12, the apostle Peter tells us about that wonder. Now, in the context of chapter 1, these three verses are like a side note. Peter's main point, as we saw last week with Pastor Mike, his main point is to help suffering Christians endure in hope. And so there's a future orientation, right? That's his focus. But in verses 10 to 12, Peter talks about present reality in light of the past. And his purpose here is, is that he, he, he knows the more that we understand the greatness of our salvation the more equipped we will be to endure. Our salvation, Peter says, is a salvation worth holding on to. And when it comes to this salvation, did you know? That's what, that's what Peter's saying. That's what Peter's doing here. And in the course of what Peter says about our salvation, we learn some amazing things about the Bible. And that's the part I want to highlight this morning. This morning, we're going to look at three truths about the Bible. We learn in this passage three truths about the Bible that have a direct impact on the way we live. Here they are, three truths. Number one, the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Bible is for Christians. Number three, the Bible is about Jesus. We could call these the Bible's IRM. Inspiration, relevance, and message. Inspiration, relevance, and message, and the implications of these truths are glorious. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Father in heaven, you do tell us in your word that the unfolding of your word gives light and imparts understanding. And, and we know that only happens by your power. So we ask now, in this moment, speak, O oh Lord. Send your Holy Spirit to accomplish your will through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing here, number one, the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Start here at verse 10. Peter says, concerning this salvation. Now, when he says that, that's a signal that he's about to make this side note. He's going to hit Paul's on his main argument, and he's going to pursue this holy tangent. He wants to tell us a little bit more about our salvation that he mentions in verse 9, which is the outcome of our faith, which is what he's been talking about in verses 3 to 9. Okay? This is how it fits. He's talking about our salvation. When it comes to our salvation, verse 10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. There's a lot there, right? That's a loaded sentence, but let's slow down first and notice what he says about these prophets. 
these prophets prophesied. Now, when he, he talks about these prophets, he's referring to Old Testament prophets, which includes Old Testament authors. And they prophesied, or they wrote about, the grace that was to be yours. And that grace is another way to say salvation. The Old Testament prophets prophesied about grace for us. They prophesied about our salvation, and that raised, pro that, that raised questions for these prophets about the details. They knew what they were saying. They knew what they had said. They knew what other prophets had said, but they wanted to know more. It raised a question for them. And so the prophets searched and inquired carefully. That's how the ESV translates those two words in verse 10. And, and that's good. But notice at the beginning of verse 11, we see the word again, inquiring. And that's the same idea as the previous two words in verse 10. But this is actually a different word in the original, which means Peter is using three different words to communicate the same idea, which means, okay, there's emphasis here. This is important, right? What Peter is describing about these prophets was not an afterthought for them. This was not a hobby that they just got to when they had some spare time, but they searched intensely. They inquired carefully. They diligently investigated. They passionately examined. They wanted to know more details. What details exactly? Well, they wanted to know who exactly these prophecies were about. And they wanted to know when exactly these prophecies would take place. It's verse 11. And that's one way we could say verse 11, just that. They wanted to know who, they wanted to know when. But Peter actually says more here. Peter takes the opportunity here to tell us more about the nature of of these prophecies. These were not just prophecies, but they were prophecies given to the prophets by the Spirit of Jesus. Now we're going to look at the content of these prophecies later, but notice here, look here at the origin of the prophecies. Peter is saying that these Old Testament prophets, in their prophesying, were led by the Spirit of Christ which is another way, another title for the Holy Spirit. We know this from other places in Scripture. Luke calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus in Acts 16.7. Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus Christ in Philippians 4.19 or the Spirit of God's Son in Galatians 4.6. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, neither made nor created nor begotten, proceeding from the Father and the Son, He is the one who spoke through the prophets. And that tells us something really important about the Bible. Remember, in this passage, we learn some amazing things about the Bible. But now, how do we make that connection? How do we go from what is true about Old Testament prophets to what is true about the whole Bible? Well, it's because what is true about the Old Testament prophets is true about the Old Testament, and what is true about the Old Testament is true about the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, whole Bible. Let me explain. What Peter says here about Old Testament prophets, 
applies to the whole Old Testament because all the biblical authors of the Old Testament served in a prophetic function. The Old Testament authors of Job, of 1st and 2nd Chronicles, of Isaiah, although their styles are different, their writing is a kind of prophecy that claims divine authority. And one reason we know this is because of what Jesus taught us. In his teaching, Jesus confirmed the authority of the entire Old Testament. Remember, he said, Jesus said that he came not to abolish, but to fulfill the law and the prophets, which is another way to say the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament. Jesus said that until heaven and earth pass away, which is never, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a jot will pass away from the Scriptures. And then later, Jesus makes that same claim about his own words. And so on the basis of his authority, Jesus confirmed the divine authority of the Old Testament. And the same thing goes for the New Testament. The New Testament apostles followed the teaching of Jesus. They understood the authority of the Old Testament, and they also understood the authority of Jesus himself. And Jesus commissioned the apostles to minister his authority. Okay? By his appointment and by his spirit, Jesus made the apostles his messengers to authoritatively explain the Old Testament and to speak his word to the church, and they considered their own writings to be Scripture. The apostles were led by the Spirit of Christ in the same way that the Old Testament prophets were led by the Spirit of Christ. So the New Testament and the Old Testament have this in common. Their origin is the Holy Spirit. And so here in 1 Peter 1.11, what is said about the Spirit's guiding work for the Old Testament prophets is true of the entire Bible. This is called the doctrine of inspiration. The doctrine of inspiration. And this is why, this is the reason, the Bible is the first and final authority in our lives. Inspiration is what the Apostle Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3.16 when he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Now that word, breathed out by God, is just one word in the Greek. Okay? It's just one word. It's the literal meaning of what is sometimes translated inspired, inspiration, divine inspiration. Breathed out by God. It's the same thing that Peter talks about in 2 Peter 1.21 when he says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This means that in the Bible, the human authors wrote nothing but what God intended. Everything said by the prophets, everything said in this book is breathed out by God. It is birthed by the Holy Spirit so that whatever the Bible says, God says. And that's the game changer. 
Okay? Feel that? That's the game changer. Do you want to know the mind of God? Do, do you want to know what God thinks? Do you want to know what God says? See this book. Read the book. This is His Word, and it is infallible and inerrant, which means the Bible is wholly trustworthy and wholly true. The Bible is totally reliable. It is completely right. It is absolutely authoritative. The Bible is divine revelation in God-breathed written form, and it is the rule of faith and life for the church of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible is inspired by God, what the Bible says, God says. What the Bible says, God says. Implication? To ignore the Bible is to ignore the voice of God. Don't do that. Don't do that. This book is the oracles of God. This book is a portal into the mind and will of God. When we read this book, we hear His voice. Peter tells us more. He tells us more. Here's the second thing we learn about the Bible. Number two, the Bible is for Christians. Now, one way we could look at this passage altogether is like as a question and answer, okay? We, we see the question in verses 10 and 11, and then the answer comes in verse 12. The prophets wanted to know more details about their prophecy. Who is this Messiah? When will he come? And so they searched diligently to understand this question. That was their question. And then Peter says here that they received an answer. That's verse 11. It was revealed to them. Verse 12. It was revealed to them. And that's important language because it's saying these prophets did not discover the answer themselves, but the answer was given. The answer was revealed. It was given to them by the same Spirit who had been leading them. And the answer was that their prophecies about the Messiah would not be fulfilled in their own day, but it will be fulfilled in the future. They were serving not themselves, but you, Peter says. Us. And Peter says they knew it. Now Peter had already hinted at this in verse 9 because he says they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. But the new insight here in verse 12 is that the Old Testament prophets were aware of this. See, the, the main idea of 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12 is not the ignorance of the prophets. It's the knowledge of the prophets. It's what was told to them. It's what was revealed to them. When these prophets wrote, it was revealed to them that they were writing for the church. So Isaiah, for example, when Isaiah wrote, he knew that he was writing a Christian book for you. 
the apostles teach us this. Romans 15, 4, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Old Testament events happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Romans 4, 23, speaking of Abraham and the righteousness that comes by faith, Paul says the words of Genesis 15, 5, it was counted to him were not written for Abraham's sake alone but for ours and this was not accidental to the prophets the prophets knew it they knew the prophets knew that they were writing for the church as did the New Testament authors and the implication here is pretty simple knowing that this book, knowing that this book is written for us, should increase our appreciation of it. It's the same reason that when I was a kid, I thought fitted hats were awesome. <laughs> I know this is a little goofy, but give me a minute, okay? When I played baseball as a kid, the hat was an important part of the uniform. Still is. I coached Micah and Johnny. You gotta wear a hat on the field, right? You gotta wear a hat. And in the hat world, uh, fitted hats are primo, all right? There are two basic kinds of hats. You have adjustable hats and fitted hats. And adjustable hats are any hat you see that has like the plastic snapback deal or some elastic inside. But then the fitted hats come in particular sizes. About 12, about 12 different sizes every eighth of an inch. And playing baseball, when I played baseball all throughout Little League, all throughout middle school, our teams always had adjustable hats because they're cheaper and they're easier and it's one size fits all and, you know. But in high school, see, if you could play baseball in high school, the high school team were fitted hats, which means if you want a fitted hat, you gotta measure the size of your head and you gotta tell somebody, you gotta let them know so that when they're making these hats, they can make one that fits you. It's fitted, it's a fitted hat. I was bigly when I was a kid. The fittingness of these hats, it made them awesome. And we, we get how this works. Like we get the principle here. It applies elsewhere. Tailored clothes, especially tailored clothes, are a little more precious than other clothes. A coffee drink with some stuff scribbled on the side and your name on it adds some relevance to it, right? That's, that's the point. That's why they do it. This is your cup. This is your order. This is your name. They get it right, right? In all of these cases, each of these things have features that communicate relevance, and we value relevance. We value the reality that this is for me. This fits me. This is my name. This is what I ordered. This is for me. We value, we appreciate relevance. Did you know that the Bible is relevant? It was written for you. 
Look, the Bible's not about you. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a minute. The Bible was not written to you. We're not the original audience. But the Bible itself says that it was written for you. I want you to feel this. This book, this book was written for you. So that whatever you got going on right now in your life, whatever you have going on, this book is for you for that. Because it's your life. This is a book that is for you. And when you open these pages and you read these words, you can do it with the confidence and in the providence of God. Because of what he revealed to his prophets, when these words were written, we were in view. We were in view. When we read the Bible, we are not reading somebody else's mail. Do you read the Bible that way? Do you think of it that way? When they wrote these words, you, we were in view, we who have heard and believed the gospel. This book is for us. This book is relevant. Okay, so we looked at the inspiration of the Bible. The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The relevance of the Bible. The Bible is written for Christians. What about the message? Well, the message, number three, the Bible is about Jesus. Look at verse 11 again. The Old Testament prophets wanted to know more details about their prophecies, and specifically, they wanted to know about their prophecies when the Spirit of Christ in them predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, the sufferings of Christ here is referring to the cross of Christ. This is about the death of Jesus in the place of sinners. And the subsequent glories here is about the resurrection of Christ. This is the, about the resurrection of Jesus and his victory over evil and sin and death and then all the fruit of that victory. And in verse 12, these are the things that the Old Testament prophets predicted that are now announced to us in the preaching of the gospel, these things. So what the prophets took great pains to examine and to search out, and apparently what angels long to look upon, <laughs> we can simply hear. And we hear it anytime we hear the good news of Jesus. He's the main message of the book. He's the main message of this book. The Bible is an ancient, sacred collection of smaller books by human authors. The Bible is not less than that. But it's much more than that. The Bible is one single book with a single author, the Spirit of Jesus, and it's written with one single theme, the saving work of God realized in Jesus Christ. Everything in the Bible revolves around Jesus. He is the key to Scripture. He is the focus of Scripture. The Old Testament and the New Testament are united in their witness to Him, and there is nothing in the Bible that can be properly understood without Him as the reference. The Bible is about Jesus. Jesus is the message, and He's the message who has been predicted and written about He's the message who has come in the flesh. And he is the message who is announced 
the magnitude of this salvation, the wonder of the gospel that we're told in this book cannot be overstated. And we can just hear it. We can just hear it. We don't have to search diligently like the prophets did. We, we don't have to long to look upon it like angels do. We just listen. You. You. Every you in this room. You were created by God in His image and in His likeness, intended by Him to find your significance and happiness in Him. You were made. Every you in here, you were made for fellowship with God. But like our original parents, We have all sinned and rebelled against God. We have valued lesser things more than God. And we have looked to these lesser things to satisfy us in a way that only God can. And that is a great evil. That is our sinful rebellion. And we are therefore deserving of God's wrath. That has been true of every human being to ever live except for one. And his name is Jesus the Messiah. He was first prophesied to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15 as the offspring of a woman who will come and crush the head of the serpent. He would be the son to give us rest from the curse of sin. And then he was prophesied to Abraham, his offspring through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then to Moses, he would be the prophet like Moses that God raises up from among the people of Israel who should be obeyed. And then to David, he would be the king from his lineage whose throne would be established forever, who David called his own Lord in Psalm 110. Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Also, he is the lion of Judah that Jacob told us about in Genesis 49.10, the one who, like the king priest Melchizedek in Genesis 14, has the power of an indestructible life, though he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like Isaiah tells us, the suffering servant who would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, but who will not be abandoned to Sheol, He is the Holy One who will not see corruption. He is the Redeemer who lives, who will at last stand upon the earth, and we shall see Him like Job tells us. And this is announced to you. That was predicted. That was prophesied. That was written about. And now it is announced to you because in the fullness of time, in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. And that redemption came by His becoming a curse for us, by His bearing our sins in His body on the tree, justifying us by His blood, paying for the wages of sin, which is death, which means he died which means he was buried but then on the third day God raised him 
Again, in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus was raised from the dead and declared to be the Son of God in power, exalted to the right hand of the Father from where He sent His Spirit. And the command is clear. Through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by Him, by believing in Him, you will be freed from everything from which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses or anything else. So, repent and believe. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's the announcement. That is the announcement. And the same Spirit who guided the prophets in their prophecy of Jesus accompanies the preaching of the gospel of of Jesus, which I just told you, which I read in this book. Everything I just said, I read in this book. It's from this book. Straight from this book. The wonder of this book makes our hearts burn. Changed my life. Anybody? Changed my life. And so every morning when I wake up, I come downstairs and I pour my coffee. And over to the right, this is in my study, which is right beside our kitchen, I leave my Bible waiting Uh, on my desk and as I pour my coffee almost like a fika from over in my study this book blazes like a flame of fire this book inspired by the Holy Spirit this book that has been written for me This book that is about Jesus. Oh, church, let us know him in his book. Let us know him in his book and let us have fellowship with him. That's what brings us now to the table. Because in God's economy, revelation is for relationship. God reveals himself to us in his word to redeem us, to draw us into relationship, fellowship with him, which is exactly what we remember at this table. At this table, the bread represents the broken body of Jesus. The cup represents the shed blood of Jesus. And when we eat the bread and when we drink the cup, We are reenacting our spiritual union with Jesus and we give him thanks. Which is why this table is for those who trust him. For those who have fellowship with him. So if you're here this morning and you have put your faith in Jesus, if you trust him, if if you have called upon his name for salvation, we invite you now to eat and to drink with us. His body is the true bread. His blood is the true drink. Let us serve you.